Hello and welcome to Radio for Intermediaries in association with HSBC UK. I'm Rebecca Kaman, editor of Mortgage Strategy, and in this, our third instalment, I'm joined by Chris Pearson, head of intermediaries at HSBC UK, Robert Sinclair, chief executive of the Association of Mortgage Intermediaries, and Michelle Andrews, head of buying a home at HSBC UK and UK finance board member. And we'll be discussing the climate change agenda, challenges posed by the base rate rise and the consumer duty regulations. Well, thank you guys all so much for joining us today. Um, I'll get the ball rolling by talking about the base rate rise that we saw recently and how this might affect the market. Um, Can I come to you first, Chris? Yeah, absolutely, Rebecca. Thank you. I think it's a really good question, one that's on everyone's minds um, at, the, at the moment. So, where do I think the market is? Where do I think it will be? I think, in historic terms, I would say that the market has always shown strong resilience, and, and I wouldn't see that necessarily changing um, now. So, you know, I think, you know, we are going to have some some challenges uh, ahead. So, you know, we've had, you know, we just come through COVID and prior to that, we've had, you know, the financial crisis, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the market's always shown um, good legs through um, through a lot of these challenges. Uh, and the next one, of course, is going to be, I think, across the UK and across most developed economies, actually, is uh, the cost of living um, challenge. We've got inflation, rate rises. We've got a challenge, particularly in the UK, around just general economic growth and just sort of getting the starter motor going in terms of uh, the overall economy. But, you know, I, I think demand in the housing market in terms of stock, I think we're still short on stock. And I think the general housing supply is still a little bit muted. Um, so I think there'll still be strong demand against a relatively short supply as we've seen in historic terms. But I think people are going to still seek out value. I think we've got the Remo, we've got the product transfer switching market as customers continue to seek value um, in a rising rate and, and environment. So I think some resilience there, but I will I would call out a little bit of cooling off um, over the next few months in terms as far as I can see. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, Chris. And um, Michelle, I'll ask you the same question. The base rate rise to 1.75%. How do you think that will affect the market? Yeah, it's a, a really it's a really good question, as Chris said. I mean, I it's a really big step, isn't it? Half a percent to one point seven five, and that biggest increase since nineteen ninety five. So that upward trend in the market continues to give challenge. I'm really respectful of those customers who are looking to move on to the property ladder, um, or those whose fixed rate deal is coming to an end. I think you know those challenges are still there as a result of those changes, and I think the demand for fixed rate products will be um, as high, if not higher, than we have seen in the past. Um, so I think just sat there looking at it I'm really respectful of the challenges that gives the market because I think it's still a highly competitive mortgage market as interest rates continue to increase I think customers become more nervous about making big decisions um, about when is the right time to move or what moves from there so support Chris's view that there may be a softening of demand I think we just want to be there to support the market and make sure those choices for customers while they could be more challenged financially are there for them going forward great answer thanks michelle 
Um, I'll ask you the same question, please, Robert. Yeah, and I, I think it's been really well summarised um, by Chris and Michelle, but um, I think looking at it from the broker perspective at the moment, I, I look at the broader macroeconomic picture predicted by the Bank of England last week, which kind of shows that we're around 4% unemployment rate at the moment. The models that they're currently working off show employment going to 4.8%. The, the worst model in the marketplace is unemployment of 5.8%. And that, even at 5.8%, doesn't indicate a significant drop in property prices because we've got this, as we've already said, this demand supply imbalance still at the moment. And the cost of new build continues to escalate given raw material prices. And that gives us very strong underpin to the secondhand market within the UK as well. So in, in, in classical um, recessionary terms or in classical situations where inflation is driving upwards, we'd normally see different outcomes in terms of both unemployment and supply demand. And therefore, what I think we've got at the moment is a bit of a false situation where the economists are trying to get the head around what needs to be done to get us and keep us in the safe place. Another element to this, of course, is, as already been said, the amount of maturing mortgages coming through in uh, the next 15 months is a significantly big number. And therefore, from a purely domestic perspective of are mortgage brokers going to be busy? The answer is yes, they are. And therefore, I don't see a significant drop off or issues for the market. And I can see looking at data that I've looked at this morning, brokers had their busiest week last week than they've had in the last five weeks. And that therefore indicates that they're still seeing new inquiries, but we've also got big issues in terms of managing pipeline and often having to resubmit cases again. Therefore, we've got a lot of work going on in order to challenge everything. So I'm broadly positive about where we are, notwithstanding, we are going to have people who are exceptionally challenged. If I've got to worry about one element of the market, I'm probably more worried about the private rented sector in terms of people who are in rented accommodation who are going to get challenged more in the cost of living crisis than perhaps many people who own properties and are on good income streams. So that's the area I think we need to see stress coming through first, which will be landlords who might have problems with tenants' ability to pay. Mm -hmm. Good points. Thanks, Robert. Um, I'm going to stick with you, actually, Robert, because I want to talk about trade bodies. Um, from your perspective at Amy, what are the plans over the next 12 months? I think... Big question. <laughs> well, it's a big question, but also, I mean, I think one of the issues that trade bodies have at the moment is the, the agenda has never been deeper or broader. The regulators are putting a lot on the table in order to try to move the market forward and make it more responsible. Therefore, any entity, whether it's a lender looking into UK finance or a broker with Amy, I think needs the help and support of a trade body that helps them get their head around um, the issues that government and regulators are asking us to take, but also make sure we've got a good focus of attention to lobby back as a combined industry to make sure that the outcomes are sympathetic to the needs of the industry and the needs of the consumer. And therefore, strong trade bodies that work well together are essential in this environment. And that's certainly the case between Amy and UK finance at the moment. Um, the agenda's never been wider um, in that, you know, we'll come on to a, a number of the topics later in this podcast around green, around consumer duty, um, around technology. But we've also got issues around that, that linkage of duty to vulnerability, which is huge. And we are doing a lot of work on diversity and inclusivity, as others are going to have to do over the next two or three years to keep themselves in the right space. Fundamentally, initially from a PRA um, FCA perspective on gender, but that will come across into other parts of the DNI agenda over the next two to three years. Operational resilience is still a huge issue for the industry in terms of making sure we're in the right place around all of that. So it's never been 
I've never known it as busy as it is now, and the need for firms to have people who can help them navigate the pathways that are required to keep themselves and their customers safe has never been more important. Great, thank you, Robert. And Michelle, Robert touched on the relationship with UK Finance. And from your perspective, what are the what are the main focuses there at UK Finance? Yeah, so I'm lucky enough to sit on the UK Finance Product and Services Board, where I'm the Deputy Chair, and there's a long list of items that we're working in a collaborative manner um, across the industry to be able to support and debate. Um, so, if I list a few, so we've got anything from the removal of the affordability test, where we're going for a potential for a 50-year mortgage, the right to buy extended consumer duty, cost of living challenge, climate response, continued work in areas such as cladding and mortgage prisoners, diversity, and obviously the fifth stuff that Robert um, confirmed earlier. So, a incredible breadth of discussion and debate that goes on. So, from a UK finance point of view, for those who are less aware, they represent over 300 firms across the industry and they're to act to enhance competitiveness, support customers and facilitate innovation. Um, and we do go into a number of those topics in an incredibly collaborative manner to how to work out how we can unite within the realms of competition law to be able to make it a better mortgage industry for customers. So busy, busy then. <laughs> just, just a few things. It's all about prioritisation. But to be honest, that's no different than any other company. Mm -hmm. Okay, absolutely. Um, we touched on it, but... Um, Obviously, the, the industry is working on the climate change agenda. Um, Chris, can I ask you, from your perspective, do you think green mortgages are taking off and are they working as the incentive they were intended to be? Yeah, well, yeah, we've got, I think, as we currently sit here today, and I haven't, I haven't done a, I haven't done the maths, I haven't done a count, um, but I think we've got between three and 400 green mortgages. If you go on a sourcing system, you probably see that amount of, uh, that sort of number of green mortgages. So I think, you know, I think we're at base camp in terms of product design across the industry um, in terms of, uh, of green mortgages. Um, certainly from our perspective, um, we can, we, are continuing to give a lot of deep thought across our business on on what our approach to a green mortgage or the green agenda should be in terms of mortgage finance and there are a lot of aspects to that we're certainly not sat here to do any sort of product launch or discuss design so we're still in we're still in thinking about that what we don't want to do of course as an industry and this is casting no aspersions whatsoever to any of um any of our competitors or those who have green mortgages, we don't want to have this almost, I'm going to describe as a totemic approach to, to the green agenda, almost greenwashing, to almost tick a box that we've got a, a product out there. I think it needs to be deeper than that. I think it needs to be really meaningful to the to the customer that's on the receiving end of um, uh, of the mortgage or, or some sort of retrofit finance. Uh, and we need to think very carefully around how that works and how that's used um, by the uh, by, by the consumer. Um, so, as I said, you know, thought through, well thought through design. I think we're starting the agenda in terms of our approach. We're trying to lead in the areas of thought leadership. 
trying to get some knowledge out there through um, various lenders and broker working parties. I think we can definitely produce that as a global bank. We've got a lot of depth of thought there. And then, as I said, work on <coughs> really deep and meaningful product design over the next few months. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Um, Robert, you mentioned when you were speaking about aiming what you're focusing on, that the Green Agenda was one of them. Can you give me a bit more detail about what you're doing there? Yeah, I mean, we're, we, and, and, you know, Chris and I have spent time in rooms together already on this, and it's great that HSBC are stepping up quickly to, to help um, not just build levels of awareness amongst the lender community and the lender community working together around all of this. And it's, I think one of the phrases I've heard Chris use, this is about, well, and, and, and Kevin Roberts of LNG as well, uh, this is about country, not club. We've got to get this right um, across the piece in terms of um, it's not we shouldn't be seeing this as a totally competitive issue. We need to see this as a, a solution that works right across the piece in order to save the planet effectively. And we're working in a range of working groups alongside UK Finance, the Building Society Association, as well as individual lenders in order to try to establish what is genuinely required. And one of the confusions we still have at the moment is that and the Department for Business, Energy, Industrial Strategy, having put out some consultations, is still to come back out with definitive answers which will give us a better shape and understanding to how we get to the right place. So we're we're kind of working in the dark a little bit, well, not entirely, but we are struggling to get that clarity we need. But I think that's because, in fairness to them, the challenges that the industry has put back to them from the initial consultation has led them to need to go away and think a bit more deeply about what the right solutions and structures will be in order to deliver the right outcomes. But what we are doing, I think, is working in partnership quite well across the industry already to try to work out how we deliver training and education to the broker community, first of all, and get that embedded before we go out into the consumer world. Because you don't want an energized set of consumers coming to us where they all the people they talk to don't have the right level of knowledge and understanding of what the options are. The challenge I still think is that we're still building houses that don't fit the standards that we might want to have to see in the future. And that's a challenge that we need to work our way through. And retrofit is complex. And that's the other problem is that retrofit is complex. And some of the solutions that might be seen as the solution today might not be the right solution in 20 years time. That is a fear element in all of this that we need to be careful around. But we've, um, been working around there's, there's a number of groups like the Moist Climate Action Group, which is a range of distributors who've pulled together and some lenders have joined that as well in order to help work out how we do things. Amy will be launching a website which is called um, greenmortgageadvice.co.uk that we will be open for everybody to look at that will allow people to look at the range of research materials that, that we're allowed to share with people and gradually build up levels of knowledge, understanding and expertise. I think the challenge we have as an industry is persuading mortgage brokers that they're going to have to become expert on this because if they're going to genuinely demonstrate as part of the advice community that they add value to lenders as lenders need to upgrade the quality of their book the broker will have to be a part of that or they will become obsolete because if the broker does not become expert in this and help the customer and work with the lender then the lender is going to have to go themselves to deal with this issue to deal with their back book so allowing brokers brokers need to get their head around the fact this has got to be part of their job and, and understand what they can say and do and how they make this work rather than just being a nice to have. This is going to be a need to have in my view. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Some challenges there, but sounds like you're working on a plan. Thanks, Robert. Um, Michelle, did you have any thoughts on what's happening in the green market? 
do, do you know it's such a it's such an important topic for me and my reflection and I'm filled with excitement and responsibility um, in equal burden sat here uh, looking after the mortgage business so um, I, I endorse and support obviously the comments made made from from Chris and Robert who've gone before me but I I would reinforce the need that even though we don't know all of the answers at the moment as Robert so beautifully articulated there's still some areas where things are not clear yet our responsibility to educate our consumers is there um, making sure they know what we know and where we don't know the answers that we're open and transparent but at least start that movement of that education journey for them as well and I think it's one of the opportunities, Rebecca, to do innovation. You know, what more perfect time when presented with an enormous challenge um, could we have creatively as a mortgage industry to be able to innovate with creative solutions to help support and resolve this problem? And if you look at our past history, um, you know, the mortgage industry has such an enormous and an enormous purpose and excitement to the role but maybe not always at the leading edge of innovation. Um, and I'm wondering whether our time has come. But I, I guess the next couple of years will tell the response to that. Thank you, Michelle. It's lovely to hear the passion with which you speak about it. Um, and I'm going to stay with you because you touched on innovation. And the next question is about technology and the role that it plays in the market, which is obviously another uh, another form of uh, innovation. So where do you think we're going to go in that direction in the next five years in the market, obviously? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you know what, you would also just reinforce my point that innovation should be there for product development. Um, so there are many things that I think are changing, certainly in the way, even if you look at the basic things about how people see employment at this point in time as the next generations come through who want their mortgage, does the traditional thinking of how you design a mortgage product suit all of the facets of um, how people want to live their life and live their working career. Um, so I think more innovation will come out of that. But quite clearly, innovation in technology is a massive um, requirement for, you know, the, the mortgage industry in general. And you see so many people investing in this for all of the right reasons. So I'm a great supporter of that digital automation, that self-serve approach for the customer in areas where they choose to want to be able to do that. So, you know, if they want to just do a quick update to their direct debit standing order as a basic, that should be available to them to be able to do online. But making sure, importantly, in partnership with our brokers, that the mortgage process automation works in a way that just makes that process as streamlined as we need it to be. So, it's quicker, less resource dependent, you know, and uses humans for the roles we absolutely want them to use for to guide customers when they need that help and that support from advice. But if it's just about inputting and pulling data, we should have enough capability to be able to go in there and make those experience much quicker. Um, I don't want brokers or consumers sat there worrying whether or not their mortgage is going to be accepted and they're going to get an offer. The quicker we can spend more money on technology, so that becomes a very, very quick response. Um, I think the better because it does reduce some of the tension in the overall process. And of course, you know, all automation in general just brings 
greater capability imp that improve customer experience, less costs for everyone involved, less stress, but it gives lenders better security. We get better fraud detection, improved accuracy and improved compliance for us all, all of which areas that, you know, if we could um, automate and speed up, I'm sure would all be welcome. So I see lenders continuing to support and invest, certainly from HSBC's point of view. We absolutely are. But as I said, in the right places where we can remove the duller part of the journey um, and leave great and talented colleagues across the whole mortgage businesses to be able to do the, the points that really matter to the customer. Great, thank you, Michelle. Um, it's a very comprehensive answer, thank you. Um, and Chris, obviously, Michelle was speaking from a HSBC perspective as well, but was there anything you'd like to add? Um, well, I think Michelle's beautifully articulated it, actually. So just just, just a couple of things I'd probably just throw in there were, would be, I remember probably going back three to four years ago, you couldn't come on a podcast like this without the first thing being asked was, what's your view on robo-advice? And we just simply don't get those questions anymore. I'm not saying there isn't a role for that moving forward for certain customers. I'm, I'm sure there is. But I think, you know, interaction with a trusted mortgage and protection advisor seeking out top quality advice i think will will remain key and i i, I use the term mortgage and protection um very very um pointedly because i will underline the protection part of that because I'm, I'm not sure technology can really underline to a consumer how important not just the mortgage but also the protection that goes alongside that is too and i think that's a heartfelt human interaction actually so i think that's that's really important. So I think it's trusted advisor augmented by technology is going to be absolutely key. And I think Michelle's articulated that uh, that framework uh, beautifully well. Thank you, Chris. Um, Robert, as Chris said uh, a number of years ago, we were talking about robo-advice robo a lot. And there was a bit of a love-hate kind of a response in the market. Um, we've come a long way. How much further can we go? I think over the last five years, we've actually come a long way. And I can remember you say when we started these discussions around robo-advice, we were also talking about lots of other things that needed to work better. Because at that point, very few lenders had what I would call document upload that was pretty straightforward technology that is now in there. And we, we, we don't think about it very much in the same way. <laughs> we've also seen sourcing change significantly over that period and criteria information for the broker change significantly. And therefore, the advent of technology over the last two to three years has changed the journey significantly. The other elements of this are lenders would clearly want and consumers clearly want the ability to do five clicks if they just want to do a simple product transfer that's fine because if the customer doesn't need to have written the system we shouldn't have a row to force them to go through that process if we're close enough to the customer and the customer thinks they get value out of talking to a broker when they're going through that process that's great but we shouldn't be driving people to do it just for the sake of doing it and we have to accept that unless the consumer sees the broker adding value, then we need to get out of the way and let the consumer get on with what they want to do. And I think that's really important for people to think that through in terms of where their what their position is in all of this. The other part is that I think while robo-advice has gone on the back burner, how we get end-to-end -end holistic data transfer is very much on the front end of this now, so that the information gets dropped in once at the front end, ID and V is done, everybody accepts. We get into a process where when the application goes in following the advice, 
the lender looks at it, then flows through into whoever's working on the conveyancing and the valuation work, and it's not all being rekeyed in different places. When we get to that space, then we're using technology in the best way possible to take the grit out, and all of those other people in the chain give access so that the broker can online see where it is in the process. That takes out all the phone calls, all the noise, all the trouble. If we get to that space, then I think we get to a more low-cost, effective solution that works for everybody. As Michelle was saying, it leaves a bit in the middle, which is where the human adds value to be the focus of what we do really well and brilliantly. And it's what we do already, but we just need to focus more on that and get better at it. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Robert. Um, moving on to a small matter of consumer duty. Um, what do we think the impact of the new consumer duty regulations will be for lenders and intermediaries? Um, Chris, I'm going to come to you first. Yeah, it's, it's a big question, isn't it? Um, so obviously interested in Michelle and, and, and Robert's view uh, on, on this as well. Um, so I don't think we should underestimate what the size of this particular challenge might be and also potentially, depending on where you are currently on the journey, the cost of impl impl implementing um, some of this. So let's just recap on, I guess, the component part and there are four key component parts, which is products and service, price and value. Um, consumer understanding and a consumer support. So those are the, th are the four sort of key components to, to it. So I think from a consumer perspective, being on the receiving end of it, I think, you know, thumbs up, all great news. Um, things are going to get crisper, cleaner, potentially a little bit more clarity. Um, insofar as you may believe that perhaps they're, they're not there already, and I think we're already, um, certainly from a lender perspective, I'm sure a lot of brokers are here already, quite a long way down that journey um, at the moment. So then you can tick a lot of boxes so far, but I think just trying to just look at what you've got, look at your um, whole portfolio, whole library of documentation, for example. Is it clear? Is it crisp? Is there any jargon in there that needs to disappear or be reworded? Um, maybe you could layer some of those documents. A lot of this is there a lot of legal jargon on there on 30, 40 pages, let's say, of a contract. Let's have a look at that and make it easier for consumers to understand. And that can take quite some time and money and even a legal viewpoint, which can then turn into quite a lot of costs um, in, in involved in, in reviewing these documents. And then what we have to do then, particularly when we're looking at the service side from a customer perspective, is keep testing new approaches keep testing existing and, of course, new approaches, but also adapt those communications and evolve those communications to make sure that we're continually, this is not just a once and done, but continually making sure that once we've made some changes, it hits the mark, it works, and we test consumer um, confidence and behaviour on the back of that. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. Thanks, Chris. And Michelle, did you want to add anything to Chris's succinct answer? <laughs> well, I, I think Chris covered the main points, but certainly we're committed to delivering good customer outcomes for our customers. And we'll, we are, as Chris said, welcome the FCA's new consumer duty policy. We're always going to want to work consistently to support the existence of a fair and transparent market that consumers can engage effectively with. Um, so from our point of view, as Chris said, it's not about just making any necessary changes that are required that in 
the here and now, but it's actually about ensuring that we've changed our culture. So when we're in there and we're designing new products, which, you know, go through a whole series of governance all by themselves um, in a needed way, that any consumer duty changes are embedded going forward for the future. Um, if this as we believe it will, just enhances and improves things for customers, then of course it's going to be the right thing for us to do and to give more consumer protection. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. And Robert, from an aiming perspective, what's the focus here? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a there's a range of things around this. In that, you know, uh, similarly, we support where the essay is coming from in terms of want to make sure that customers end up with the right product at the right price, but that we still are allowed to make profit that allows us to repair capital, grow, and invest in our businesses. And that's the fundamental that sits behind all of this, as far as I'm concerned. Um, there were positives that came out of the consultation before we got to this policy statement in terms of we made sure that it was avoiding causing foreseeable harm as being the principal tenant that sits in there. Um, and it's this causation issue that is a, is a, is a slightly different perception from, from avoiding foreseeable harm that I think is positive. The extended timescales that have been allowed um, or the clarification that's been provided that manufacturers have to produce their documentation effectively in nine months and give three months for the intermediaries to be able to distill that and then work it through into their element of, of what's going on is a real positive. And I think that's a learning what we've been doing in the insurance, the general insurance and protection market from the work that's done in their product rules last year, where the FCA has found that that getting everything out in time to allow distribution to be in the right place has, has proved difficult. Um, I think the real bits of this that are going to be complex and, and maybe the mortgage market is less complicated than others and I think it says that in some of the guidance notes where they view the fact that there aren't that many participants in the chain where effectively a bank like HSBC is providing its own funding it has a relationship with an intermediary and it goes straight to the consumer there's nobody else in that chain and therefore it's a very flat structure and therefore it's very clear about who's adding cost and where the value comes from in terms of all of that where you've got more elongated chains which we are liable to see in places like our lifetime mortgage market and our second charge market, where there are things like a funder and a lender and a packager and a broker and then a consumer. There are many more links in that chain which need to be thought through. And those are also markets where quite often there might be debt consolidation or vulnerability. And therefore, we need to overlay a great deal more consideration of how we operate in those marketplaces as we develop the strategies around this because it's not one dimensional in terms of these are mortgages i think the other element that's really positive in terms of the clarification we've got is that manufacturers lenders are responsible for their value judgment and intermediaries are responsible for making their own judgment on value and we do we will require information flow to come predominantly down from lenders to, to to intermediary firms but there's no requirement from the regulator for that information to flow back the other way but i do expect as we already have in the relationship between certain intermediary firms and lenders that, that there will be some of that or or there will always be interaction because ultimately this is a, a relationship of partnership and a symbiotic relationship where and I think consumer duty will do this. This will pull the partners closer together. And it is designed to pull manufacturers and distributors closer together because it's important that we actually understand each other's businesses, how they operate, and how it works for the consumer. Consumer duty will do that by the nature of the interactions that are involved. The last element of this is that actually I think probably a bank like HSBC is better placed in being, and I'll say two things, 
later to the market with intermediaries, but the due diligence process that HSBC takes a firm through in order to go onto panel is effectively what consumer duty is all about. Other lenders will have more to do to catch up, but I think HSBC will be further down the road and more clarity around that business case and business plan approach that they've been involved in all the way through their development into this marketplace. Great, thank you. So the final question today is a bit of a whimsical one. Um, if you're a government minister in charge of housing and you had a magic wand, what would be the first thing on your wish list? Uh, Michelle, I'll ask you first. Oh, goodness. What a lovely question. I love these type of free thinking type of approaches. Um, I think I'd start with more housing stock and more affordable housing. There's, there's no two ways about it. It would sit absolutely at the top of my list. Mm -hmm. Good answer. Um, Robert. If you'd asked me a couple of months ago, I would have solved the cladding crisis. And whether you love him or hate him, Michael Gove did something quite special in terms of giving a framework that now gives us the ability to move forwards. And, and thanks to the big six lenders as well for the commitment they've given to begin to help solve this problem in terms of uh, um, buildings, oral and meters and, and the rules that are now around that. I think it's really positive change that's happened. If people don't understand more of that, they, there's a lot more coming out in the next few weeks about how this is going to work and be effective. Um, but if I had a, a magic wand now, I think it would be about taking that element of housing stock a little bit further. One of the things the Portuguese are really good at doing is they set out that when houses are built, they can because of the, the nature of holiday homes being such a fundamental part of how they develop property in Portugal, every, every development gets split into three tenures for locals who want to live in them, for investors who want to live in them themselves as well, i.e. foreign nationals that want to come to the country, but then also a third that says this will be effectively a rental property up to a certain level. And they will have all of those mixed things in the same development to give it a roundness and a support. We have yet in this country to really think through what it is we want from the housing stock we're building. We leave private developers to effectively dictate to local authorities through local plans, but their negotiations, the type of tenure we get on the properties that are built. That is wrong. We, In order for going to solve this housing crisis in the UK, whether it's the public rented sector, the private rented sector or home ownership, we need stricter management controls over what is built and what tenure is allowed of it that stay with the property. And that would be my magic wand, taking it to a greater degree of granularity about what I wish central government actually took control over as opposed to leaving it to local authorities to mess about in the weeds. Mm, okay, okay, thank you. Thanks, Robert. And yourself, Chris? Yeah, so um, clearly HSBC, we, we, we never want to get party political at all um, in, in, in any of these conversations. So I'll just caveat that for a second. And let's stay on the whimsical side. So look, my, my, my personal view is I've got a slightly different answer to this question, which is I'm going to step up one rung of the ladder in terms of the government. I'm going to say, what would I do with the housing department, if you like, if I was prime minister? And quite frankly, that would actually to, to be trying to create an environment where we have some lo a longer tenure for the housing minister or ministers to stay in role. Because I'd like to see a housing minister that both sets policy in a clear, cogent and innovative way, um, but also is there for a long enough tenure to just see it through. A period of time so i'd probably start a little bit like a football manager maybe just uh, a contract period and it's a minimum as opposed to has a, a quite a short end date so staying a little bit whimsical but that's where i'd see it <laughs> good answer we have had many many 
people in the housing department in the last decade. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for your very, very interesting comments and contributions. I really enjoyed it. What an interesting debate. Thank you all so much for your contributions. And thank you to our listeners. You've been listening to Radio for Intermediaries in association with HSBC UK.